We're going to continue then tonight with Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving to the Lord for his harvest time. And I'm going to read to you from John chapter 4, just two verses. John chapter 4, verses 35 and 36. We've already been through this in our morning services, but nevertheless, this is to do with today's Thanksgiving, the harvest time. Jesus says these words, Do, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. So today is the day that we chose to hold this celebration of the sowing and the reaping of harvest. It's what it is, isn't it? The harvest we sow, we nurture, we do all that we know to do with those crops. We wait and then comes the harvest. It's not a specific day set in the world calendar, such as, you know, things like Christmas, uh, Resurrection Sunday, I like to call it. It's obviously known as Easter, but I like to call it Resurrection Sunday. But those are generally kind of set days, aren't they, that we celebrate. <clears throat> but like those days, our Thanksgiving of harvest is a day in which we point out something <coughs> Christians hold dear all year round. This is not just a one day a year Thanksgiving. We're told, in fact, I'm going to ask before I tell you, girls, can you remember the first verse of Psalm 19? Um, the first verse? No, yeah, the first verse. Psalm 19, verse 1. The firmament shows his hand. Yes. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. In Romans 1.20, Paul says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. The heavens declare... The world, we look at the world and everything that we see, whether it be the heavens, the planets, the stars, um, the, the, the sun, the moon, the clouds, or whether it's those things around us, the trees and the plants and all of these things that we've already looked at tonight and this morning, these produce, this, 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 these things that God has given us, within them all, we can see when we look at these, these green things, and these orange carrots and red tomatoes, we see actually in them that the heavens and the earth and the world declare the glory of God. We should be able to, and people might laugh at this and people might sound silly. I remember Paul Washer once in one of his sermons, he said, how often do you take a glass of water and while you're drinking it, do you give God thanks and glory? You know, we should give God, we should see 
in these things that are in front of us here, the glory of God, they should declare to us the glory of God. How does one of those things grow and become what it is? Only God knows the science behind it because he created it. So as we look at these displays and the season around the church, we've still got the, the stickers of the autumn leaves on the doors from last year because they're really nice and we decided to keep them. But we look around at these items and, you know, some of, the, some of these things, all of these things are going to be distributed to different people. They'd be very much benefited by them. But like we said this morning, there's a greater message, isn't there? In every fruit, in every vegetable, in every grain, there is a message of this providence of God. Not only in his incredible supply of our daily bread and our water, but in the principle of the seed and multiplication which reaches its height in the provision of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was the true seed which fell and died and brought forth such an abundant harvest of spiritual fruit. And some of that is still growing until that last day. Myriads of saints, everyone whom God has given to him, will stand by his side on that last day. That's an amazing, amazing thing to think of. What a harvest that will be of God's people. That every single one that God gave to him will be with him on that day. We looked at the little story or a little account of Joseph this morning. And it's said of Joseph that when he stored up all the abundance of grain from the seven years of plenty, it says in the scriptures that Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. Again, think beyond, think beyond what's being said there in its physical nature. Joseph it is absolutely true. He saved up seed and grain in places, in storehouses that he built for the purpose that fed countless amount of people, saved countless amount of lives. But friends, Jesus Christ is the Lord of the harvest and his own storehouse will be full of his own reap grain, an immeasurable crowd of saints. People say, don't they, that if you look, you can find Christ everywhere in Scripture. You can find him even in the grains, the storehouses that Joseph built. But there is a means to this glorious end. This end where we will all be stood, this great crowd of witnesses with Christ at the very centre. There is a means to that end. And just as God used Joseph to store up an immense amount of grain to feed, and as we've said, save countless lives, he also uses us in this day. Turn with me to Matthew 9, 35 to 38. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through to 38. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness 
and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The message is, the fields are white. We sang it in a song this morning. The fields are white unto harvest. And Malk said it's because, well, at least when there's snow, they will be. But the fields are white unto harvest. But it, there's this almost like a lament that, oh, in the song, the laborers are so few. So in this text in John 4 that we read earlier, this comes after Jesus has spoken to the Samaritan woman. She had gone to tell all the people of a village of the man that she had met, this prophet who had told her everything she ever did. She became almost like a, a, a great witness for the things of Christ, even in her immaturity and lack of knowledge. She had whatever she'd witnessed. Take that also, friends, for yourself. You might not know everything. No, none of us know everything. None of us know every scripture. None of us know how to expound every doctrine to its fullest uh, depth. But whatever God has done in you is enough for you to speak to somebody. And God can use it, even if you're like this woman who just met the man. So these people heard about this man and many people were saved at this time and so Jesus makes it clear that the fields are white he says look the fields are white unto harvest now just to react to your comment now the fields are white I thought about that why why white why, why is it that they're white and the general explanation is that when grain has ripened the color turns from green to a lighter color yellow or even kind of pressing on to a kind of a whiteness to it and what this does is it gives the indication that it is now time to reap it so there are signs to see when the harvest is ready and so when he says the fields are white he's saying the fields are ready harvest time is here When an interest is shown, such as these men in this village, where this woman spoke of Jesus, it shows that the gospel has been effectual. And so a harvest is ready to be gathered in. And that's why Jesus said it. The fields are white unto harvest. It's ready to be gathered in. So Jesus, this, this, this man, this saviour, this, this lover of his people, Full of compassion for those who were weary, who were wandering, scattered like sheep who have no shepherd. He made note that the harvest was truly plentiful. But the laborers indeed are few. He looks out onto the golden fields of corn across Judah. He sees the people as crops there to be gathered in. He looks at these people who are flocking to him, who seem so ready to listen. 
And that's what he sees. He sees the harvest. Harvest is a very busy time. It takes many laborers to put in the hard work at the sweat of their brow. Some will go in to the corn with the scythe, at least in the olden days. I'm sure you know what a scythe is. It's like a curved, big curved blade with like a, I think it's got a handle here and a handle a bit lower and they swing it and it cuts the bottom of the corn, the wheat or whatever it is. So some people go in with that and they're swinging and they're chopping it down and then others will follow and they might be gathering these, uh, these kind of cut down stalks and with their heads together and bundle them up. And then there might be somebody who comes after that to collect them up and put them on the cart. There's a lot of work to do. All different types of jobs. And many laborers are needed for the ingathering of a harvest. And Jesus here now speaks of the shortage of workers. And the sad fact is that they are few. The fields are white. The fields are plentiful. There is much work to be done, and yet the laborers are few. Adam Clark makes this comment. The day is short. The work great. The workman idle. The reward abundant. And the master of the household is urgent. In all worldly concerns, if there be the prospect of much gain, most men are willing enough to labour. But if it be to save their own souls or the souls of others, what indolence, backwardness and carelessness, while their adversary, the devil, is going about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. A careless soul, and especially a careless minister, in his is his especial prey. If we're careless, we are the especial prey of that one that seeks someone to devour. So it's the same, no doubt today. There is a want of ministers, preachers and labourers in the world. And it's no different then. Again, as we've said a number of times over the last few weeks, there's nothing new under the sun. These, these are not, they're not unexpected. They're not, not normal. They're not good. Don't get me wrong, but it is, seems to have been always the case throughout history. Again, Clark says this, the souls who are ready to receive the truth are very numerous. But the laborers are few. There are multitudes of scribes, Pharisees, and priests, of reverends and right reverend men. But there are very few that work. Jesus wishes for laborers, not gentlemen, who are either idle drones or slaves to pleasure and sin, born to consume the produce of the soil. That's a very challenging comment, isn't it? We love to, to take of the soil, we love to have the products. But what about the workers that it takes to be in those fields in order to get the products in? I want to, if you'll allow me, to read to you a portion of a sermon by Charles Spurgeon. And this is a sermon called Harvest Men Wanted. So let me read this to you. 
He says this, I do not suppose the twelve, speaking of the twelve disciples, I do not suppose the twelve dreamed for a moment that they would be sent forth to be reapers. But so the Lord of the harvest had decreed. Have I not some men here who, if they thought it over, would say, Lord, I am of uncouth speech, and I cannot serve you as I would, but such as I have, I give you. And dear brother, when you begin to talk about the Saviour, you do not know how well you will succeed. And if you do not please yourself, that does not signify if you please God. There is another, a man who has been dumb half his life, and yet, if he did but know it, he has force and power in him. But I shall never preach, says one. If you do not preach, you can serve God somehow else. Could you not start a prayer meeting in your house? Some of you live in different parts of London. Could you not commence new interests? Do something for Jesus. Some of you, good women, could you not get young women together and talk to them about the Saviour? Aye, but perhaps I have some brother here who has been smothering in his heart a desire to go into the missionary field. Brother, do not quench the spirit. You may be missing your vocation or trying to suppress that desire. I would sooner you burst, you should burst into fanaticism, some of you, and become downright fools in enthusiasm than remain as the church now is in a dead coolness, caring little for the souls of men. What do Christian people nowadays think of? If they hear about Japan, they say, oh, we shall have a new trade there. But do they say, who among us can go to Japan to tell of them the gospel? Do you think that merchants and soldiers and sailors and such like people who trade with distant parts of the world are the very persons to spread the gospel? Should not a Christian man say, I shall try and find a trade for myself which will bring me into contact with the class of persons that need the gospel. And I will use my trade as the stalking horse for Christ. Since hypocrites use religion as a stalking horse for gain, I will make my trading subservient to my religion. Oh, says one, we can leave that to society. God bless the society. And I was going to say, smother the society rather than allow it to smother personal effort. We want our godly merchants, working men, soldiers and sailor everywhere to feel, I cannot go and get a proxy in the shape of a society to do this for me. In the name of God, I will do it myself and have a share in this great battle. If you cannot labour yourself, the society is the grandest thing conceivable for you may help others. But still, the main cry from Christ is that you yourself should go into the highways and hedges, and as many as you find, compel them to come in to the great gospel feast. The world is dying. The graves are filling. Hell is boasting. And yet you have the gospel. Can it be that you do not care to win souls? Do not care whether men are damned or saved. The Lord wake us from this stony-hearted barbarity to our fellow men.
and make us yearn over them, care about them, pray about them, and work for them till the Lord shall arise and send forth laborers into his harvest. What a very challenging piece of a sermon by the Prince of Preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. It's the same then. I think he I think he died in around 1892. That's over 130 years ago. And yet the things were still the same then, and they're no different now. There is still fields out there ripe unto harvest, but the cry still is, where are the laborers? They are so few. And Jesus continues as he says, the laborers are few. What does he say? What, what does he ask of his disciples? He says, therefore pray. Therefore pray. Jesus gives the instruction concerning the action needed to remedy this problem. This laborers being few. He says, therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Not only are we ourselves to be and become those laborers, but we must always be those that pray for more. There can never be enough, can there? The world is far bigger a place for you and I to traipse through and by God's grace convert every soul. We are in our corner, and yes, there may be those amongst us, who might one day desire to go to a different shore to take the gospel. But we're here and we ourselves are to be laborers. But we also always must be those that pray for more. The world is teeming with souls to reach. Places where the gospel has not even been heard. People who have not been reached. Groups who don't even know anything about Christ, know anything of him, don't know that he was crucified, that he died for their sin, and that he rose again. There are people still in this world that don't know that. We know then what it is that we're praying for. We're praying for laborers to go into the highways and hedges, to reach uncharted territory, and to labor close to home. But may we pray from a place of our own labor rather than our comfortable armchair. It's easy, isn't it, to say we're going to pray for people to come and labor, but then refuse to labor ourselves. We ought to pray from the place of our own labor first. Let us pray with hearts that are broken for the lost, that are bursting at the seam of agonizing desire to see people saved because they are, as we said this morning, on the very precipice of the pit of hell. I am praying for myself and I am praying for you and my family and everybody that I know that God will give me a greater urgency, a greater depth within my own soul, a greater concern for the people that I don't physically know, who walk by me, who are on this second, at any, any given second, could, their heart could stop and they will find themselves before God. 
having to be judged for their rejection and cast into an eternity of terror. We need to be praying from that kind of a heart rather than from a mere duty because that's what a Christian should do because that's what's been given to me on a sheet. That's how we ought to pray because that's what the Bible tells us to do. Well, that's right, we should do what the Bible tells us to do. But if it comes down to a mere form or a duty that we just kind of doing something because we think it's the right thing to do or because the minister's told us that's what we ought to do. Well, great, the minister ought to tell us to do that. But we ought to be crying out to God, change me. I am not, I am not concerned enough. Why is that? Why am I not concerned enough about my own family? And I'm not having scabs on my knees and burning my jeans through. Because I'm on my knees for them all the time. I ask that of me. Why am I not concerned enough? Friends, we need to believe. We need to pray and believe that the gospel will do its work. We have this scripture on the wall here. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. That's what it states. The gospel is God's power to salvation. Not being a nice person. Not opening doors for people. Not putting on nice things at church, which are all good. But it's the gospel. The gospel of Christ that saves. And we need to believe it. We need to grab a hold of it again and believe that the gospel will do its work, that it is the power of God unto salvation, that the word that goes forth out of our mouths will not return to him void, and it will accomplish all that it was sent to do. And that's two things. The word of God will accomplish two things. It will penetrate man's heart, and they will fall to their knees in repentance, and they will come to know the living God. They'll cry out for him, and he will in mercy give him to himself to them. Or they will be pierced to the heart like the Pharisees were, and they'll be angry and gnash their teeth and reject him. But that's what the gospel is. It does two things. It brings people in and causes those who are rejectors of God to walk further and further away. Justice. Justice and salvation. The gospel, friends, really is the power of God unto salvation. We also must note to whom it is that we pray to. The scripture that we've read in John says that it is the Lord of the harvest. He is the Lord of the harvest. It is him who we are imploring whether it mean God the Father or Christ himself, who has all the power both to choose out, to call and empower and send laborers into the harvest. As Christ swings his sickle, as he binds the corn and gathers it into his storehouse, only husks and stalks shall be left behind. You hear it all over the Old Testament, if you remember. The wheat, the chaff. What happens to the chaff? Throws it up. 
the chaff gets blown away and all the wheat falls to the floor. And then he takes his threshing stick or whatever it is and winnowing fork and fan and collects all the wheat up and the chaff either blows away and if it gets collected, it's all burnt. He will gather in all the ears and all the fruit. And let me say this to you, as you very well know, he will not miss any. He won't miss any. Remember, in the Old Testament, it was said that when these farmers went to harvest their fields, he said, if you, if you drop any, if you leave any behind, leave it for those who are poor to come and glean. Great thing to do, lovely thing to do. But just taking from that, there won't be any fruit left behind by God for Satan to glean. None will fall from his cart for the devil to catch. Jesus tells them that the harvest is his harvest. And I want to finish by saying this. That this is not just a prayer that ends in some kind of sadness. Pray that there be laborers. That the Lord of the harvest would send laborers in. Jesus actually answers this prayer. And he has and he does continue to do so. It would be wrong to finish on this call to pray without seeing God's provision once again. Jesus answered this prayer, and he still answers today. There is this division of chapters again here in Matthew. Matthew chapter 9 ends with this call to pray for laborers. But if we stop there, we will actually miss Christ answering the prayers and thus making the prayers themselves into the laborers. In chapter 10, Jesus calls the 12 together and he supplies them with power over unclean spirits to cast them out to heal all kinds of sickness and diseases and in verse 5 Jesus proceeds to send them out he says <coughs> he says them he says this these 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them saying do not go into the way of the Gentiles do not enter a city of the Samaritans but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and as you go preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. Here we glance one more time at these offerings that we have before us. The fresh fruit and the vegetables and all the tin goods and cereals and everything else. They didn't get there by themselves. They were sown, they were grown, they were picked, and all the other goods produced, all by labour. We have so much to give the Lord thanks for when it comes to our harvest, far more than meets our human eye. We understand that Jesus Christ is the Lord of his harvest, and that he will gather in all the wheat, and he will blow away the chaff. But we need to see, as I said previously, that he has a means for this in gathering. He uses his people. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 9. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. 
So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. And the truth is, nothing grows apart from God. Isn't it amazing that he calls us his fellow workers? We're fellow workers with God. And we are his field and his building. The only increase is not by whether I plant, whether you water. The only increase that comes is caused by his saving power. We are called to plant and we are called to water. The harvest is of his people and they are from every nation, every tribe and every tongue. They are here around us every day. Who will plant? Who will water? And who will pray for the Lord to water and raise her up even more laborers? If we do not Shall I say, if, we, if, if not, we who are already planted here, who's going to do it if we're not going to do it? Who's going to do it if we, in this place here today, don't labor, don't plant, don't water? We don't want to be those who only partake, as we read, of the fruits of the soil but enjoy the fruits of our labor in Christ Jesus. Paul said, didn't he? That I might have some fruit. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, Paul says, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also to the Greek. Jesus answered his prayer. The labors are few, and he called those 12 that were with him to pray. But what did Jesus do? He made them the laborers. And he sent them out. And they continued to pray. And as the generations went on, all those that came after them continued that great mantle. And so this is the end of a celebration of the harvest. But as I've said, there's so much in it, isn't there? So much in this display before us to see the glories of God, to see his wonder, to see his provision, to see his provision in Christ Jesus for us. is this very pinnacle of everything that he gives us. And then this, the fields are white. The fields are white unto harvest, but all the laborers are so few. Let us be those laborers. 
wherever that is, whether it be here on our doorstep or whether God one day puts it into your heart that he wants you to go somewhere of another shore. Don't, don't, don't be one of those people that says, that's not me. You don't know if that's you. And think not that you're weak in how you speak and what you know. Because if Christ has changed your life and he's changed your heart, whatever you have to say about him, he can use to unlock the heart of someone else. You've seen that in scripture. Charles Spurgeon was himself a man who knew a lot of doctrines. But one day in a great storm of snow and blizzards, he couldn't get to his normal church. They closed it. And so wherever it was he was walking, he came across another church that he entered that was open. There was only a handful of people there and the, the pastor or the preacher himself was not there. He couldn't make it. There was a man who was sweeping up. And he thought, I'd better do something. People are here. And he gave a word, a very brief word from Isaiah 45, I believe. Look to me and be saved. And this Spurgeon was sat in the corner of the church, heard this scripture before, but all of a sudden his heart was unlocked. And he knew, he knew that he knew Christ. He looked to him and was saved. And then this man was used greatly by God. You just do not know. That man with the sweeping brush, who was he? I don't know who he was. He's not gone down in the annals of history with a great name. But God used him that day in the life of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. You don't know what God is going to use you for with your mouth and what God has done for you. Don't limit him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this lovely day that we've spent together, celebrating this amazing time together, this, this produce, Lord, this provision, your provision for us and how we enjoy looking at all these things and, and looking in wonder at what it is that you give to us on a daily basis. Lord, we thank you for everything that you give us, our food, our drink, our health, all the things in the prayer that Phil read this morning. We thank you for them all. But Lord, we thank you uh, for the apex, for the pinnacle of what this provision really is all about. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who has come and sown himself in death and rising again unto a multitude of saints. Myriads of myriads of, of innumerable numbers, immeasurable as the grain in Joseph's barns. Lord, we thank you for it. Now help us, we pray then, as we look into the harvests, the fields that are white around us. May it be, Lord God, that we do become those who pray that laborers be sent into your harvest. But Lord, cause us also to be willing to be those laborers. Lord, that we may not be found to be burying those talents. Lord, we just ask that you use us in every single way that you desire to. Lord, let us be those that are open and say with Isaiah, here I am, Lord, send me, wherever that may be. We know, Lord God, that you will equip us for what it is that you've called us to do. And Lord, may it be again that we don't think of ourselves as too weak to be used by God. But we're all weak, we're all unable, we're, we all have no power within ourselves. But you, you can use one word from the mouth of your saints to pierce the hearts of the hardest sinner. Lord, help us not to limit your power. Help us to believe again that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Lord, move in this place, we pray. 
move in the places we live, move in our families and in our villages and towns. Lord God, we ask for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.